I'm Aunt Kelly Anakin. And I'm Molly of Mitchell Sanchez. We're here to take birth control and talk about The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> we are all out of birth control. Thanks, Trump. This is Red All Over, your handy Handmaid's Tale recap. Blessed be the fruit. Woo. It's Gal's Guide to Gilead, episode Ep- numero three. three. Trace. Trace Gosh. of Quattro. Gosh. Even my Spanglish is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my world. Uh, how you doing today? You know, I'm fine. Just generalized anxiety uh showing up to play but you know uh it's the world we live in yeah i'm okay uh uh i ate some chipotle chorizo this morning which is good chorizo but it is still give me the tummy rumbles oh really Interesting. yeah yeah i'm not a chorizo snob that's one thing you should know about me i any what, kind one of the things that i love about both of us is that neither of us is a food snob oh no 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 well and i think about food snobbery a lot in my like eating disorder recovery uh-huh. because like one of the many, 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 many issues I have around food is mm. like that people judge the food that I eat. Oh, interesting. Yeah. One time I gave away an ice cream cone because I was afraid <gasps> of a person seeing me eat it. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was sad. It haunts me to this day. I have a story like that. I'll tell you after. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, anyway, no, but it's just like, it's like, uh, yeah, it's hard. And uh, I like our friendship because we can eat whatever. And we're like, you know what? This is fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't make you a bad person. Yeah. Well, redheads, let that be a lesson to you. Eat the ice cream. Fuck everybody else. Eat the ice cream. Eat the tree. So maybe not at the same time, but if no, that no, floats no. your boat, <laughs> like, look, I'm, look again, that's what being an anti-food snob, it, like if you want to eat I just like your a chorizo sundae. Yeah. I mean, that is like, that's like, that's dairy. That is that's like a lot of spice. A invitation to diarrhea that, you know, go for it if you're, <laughs> if you're crazy, but... I don't really, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm like, I don't think diarrhea needs an invitation. It just kind of (laughs) crashes. It crashes. Hello. (laughs) Uh, All right. So before we get into today's meaty, meaty episode, I want to give a quick shout out to someone who just now posted on our Facebook Facebook page. We shout out to Alexandra Marie Davis Brazil for no reason other than she's real tight, real cool. I like her. And uh, yeah, thanks. Just a reminder that you can find us on Facebook.com slash Red All Over. And you can find Molly on Twitter at Serious Molly. And you can find Kelly on Twitter at Kelly Anakin. Fantastic. All right. Let's get into it. So this is our third explainer episode, Gal's Guide to Gilead. And what are we going to cover today? Well, the title I wrote on our shared Google Doc is episode three, Maps, Colonies, Wives, Oh My! colon a big fucking grab bag yeah so we thought like initially we thought when we conceived of this that like each of these things can be its own episode but it was like oh like we don't have quite enough information about each one of these things individually mm-hmm. um due to the fact i think as we discussed earlier it is called the handmaid's tale <laughs> so we have the most information about the handmaids right and everything else is a bit scattered even though i mean we've gotten a lot more information than we had at this time last year for sure um so we just kind of were like oh let's take all these disparate things and just do one big happy episode absolutely and what i think we should remind you at the beginning of all of these episodes is that like this is a book that we like partially because it evades answers i like i thought you were just like that we like we only partially like the book no i would never say that how how mean would that be about like hey guys just quick reminder i don't really like this book i mean that's something i definitely would say um (laughs) i love this book no i know i i love it also but i just i don't know i don't know how you partially like a book 
Oh, I can think of some books that I'm only like, I'm lukewarm on. But like, I I don't know. I guess to me, it's more about like, I like the sections of the book. But is that not partially liking it? Yeah, I don't, listen, this is maybe an entirely <laughs> different episode about like, what does it mean to partially like something? Oh, let me count the partial ways. That would be a way where we're like, wow. The redheads really love us. They listened to a whole episode where we talked about books we only kind of liked. And also the semantics involved <laughs> in only kind of liking so, these books um, that we only kind of like. Venmo us if you want that half-assed episode. Venmo.com slash read all over, baby. We did so much research on these episodes. Oh, we really And by did. we, I mostly mean Molly. Thanks, babe. <laughs> all right. So speaking I'm going to do a bunch of research for the next one, though. I know. I'm yeah. really leaning on you yeah, for the yeah, next yeah. one. Don't worry about um, it. All right. So the first thing we're going to cover is we did a deep dissection of the map that we see in the commander's office. And I think Hulu sent out some relatively high res uh, images. I found these pictures on the Handmaid's uh, Wiki, the Handmaid's Tale Wiki, which is a really interesting source uh, for all kinds of information. So looking at that map, which I'll post when we post this episode... Uh, I'm answering the question, what are the geographic boundaries of Gilead? And what I more mean that of like, what can we learn from the map of Gilead shown yeah, in the show? Yeah, because as far as we're aware, at at press time, mm-hmm. at the time that we know what happened at the end of season two, exactly, <laughs> the boundaries of Mexico and Canada are intact yeah. as they are for us today in reality. Exactly. Um, there is... You know, there are some kind of disputed areas pending various diplomatic negotiations. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for the moment, Gilead is what we currently know as the United States. And, uh, you know, or at least the continuous 48 states. For sure. Yeah, because we know also that Hawaii seems to be free. Mm -hmm. No one knows what's happening in Alaska. Uh, I know my friend Megan from college lives there. So maybe we should ask her if Gilead is there. Russia. Yeah. From house. <laughs> um, so let's get into it. And I will say like this, I know I am getting old when I'm like, I wish every book came with a map. I'd love to see what things I look know, like. I kind of always felt that way. Oh, like, okay. honestly, the maps are the only thing I like about Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty cool. And I'm reading that Devil in the White City now. And the map is really helpful yeah. with that. I, uh... I was texting you that I read that on the flight back from my honeymoon and spent like half the flight like in tears, like demanding to know from my new husband. I was like, are you going to just kill me and put me in a wall? Now, here's the thing. He wouldn't tell you if he was. I know. Look, I know. I knew that as it was happening. Anyway, the point is I got on the right anti-anxiety medication and my life is so much better. So, yeah, uh, yeah you know, your mileage may vary, but that's what worked for me. <laughs> All right. So looking at the map, here are some things I learned. Now, the key shows has about three things uh noted on it and there there's still some colors that i'm not sure i know what they mean i can guess do you see the true colors i see the true colors of gilead um but no not really uh <laughs> so they they note the key notes atomic wastelands rebel-controlled area, and military bases, and then they have some kind of notation for colonies. So, the atomic wastelands appear to be Baja, California, maybe San Diego, maybe my hometown of Long Beach, (laughs) uh, Phoenix, and Tucson area of Arizona, and likely the Kentucky-Nashville area. So, those are the places where they have, like, really dense 
atomic waste. So do you mean like the whole of Kentucky and then Nashville? Here's the thing, fam. I don't know where cities are delineated, so I don't really okay, know. Do you know that Kentucky's a state? No. Do you know that Nashville's a city? No. <laughs> okay. I don't know geography. I was the wrong person to do this job, but <laughs> it doesn't appear to me anytime I say a state it doesn't look like the entire state is overrun with it. Okay. It's like there's a blotch on the map that covers like almost like four corners style bits and yeah. pieces of each place. So there is rarely a place where like the entire state was one color. Okay. Especially along these demarcated areas. So all those places seem to be overrun with atomic waste. Um, not, I'm very unclear how those became atomically wasted. <laughs> but um yeah that's How what the map become says atomically wasted yeah tell so, us more about your feelings Gilead. so i don't know the answer to that the second thing that they mark is rebel controlled areas uh and so what's interesting about this is that there are big coastal areas that are controlled by rebels which makes sense because they have like a a way to get to other rebel controlled areas like hawaii or um other places in the sea, Atlantis. Um, that's not true. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, you didn't know Atlantis is in the Atwood canon? Oh, my God. Um, so the rebel-controlled areas are marked by little red dots, and it's most of California, lightly, likely Portland, Oregon. It goes in kind of a straight line up from California to Canada. So it kind of cuts uh, Oregon and Washington Almost in half. They're not, it's not entire Oregon or entire Washington. So it goes like California's almost entirety of California's rebel, rebel controlled and then it zoops up to Canada and kind of zoops up along the top of the United States. Uh, so basically any place right on the border between the U.S. and Canada is controlled by rebels. The tips of Montana, North Dakota, Rhode Island, top of Michigan, almost all of Vermont. Oh, God, the maple syrup. Yeah, we got it, baby. Don't worry. It's contraband. And then down to the Mexico-facing bits of Texas and all the way over to completely all of Florida, which I was kind of uh, interested in because Florida strikes me as like a super conservative place. Yeah, but like, I don't know. Look, they're swamp people. I don't know what yeah. you want me to tell you. I, I don't want you to tell me <laughs> But I'm good. <laughs> um, I guess maybe it makes sense that the rebels control things that are surrounded by water. Because yeah, and I mean, also, like, just because an area is rebel controlled, like, it doesn't necessarily mean that the, the yeah. native population is on board. That's a good point. Like, it's just, like, where they have been beaten back to. That's a good point. And to, that leads us perfectly into the next bit, which is military bases. And so what's neat about this map is the mil not neat uh, in terms of uh, scariness, but neat in terms of geographically, all of the military bases, which I assume they mean are like Gileadian military bases, are beep, 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 right around mm -hmm. the rebel controlled areas. So um, all of these areas are basically ringed with Gilead military, which means if you were somebody looking to escape Gilead into these territories, mm -hmm. you probably had a big flashpoint 
right before you got safe and maybe would likely never get to the, where it's safe. I have so many questions and I would mm-hmm. honestly love to see a show that's just about like these areas. Yeah. You know, like the way that there's like Fear the Walking Dead. Uh-huh. That's a spinoff of The Walking Dead. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like so like Fear the Gilead military bases <laughs> or whatever or like yeah. Fear the Handmaid's Tale. Well, be careful <laughs> saying that too loud because Bruce Miller is already angling to have 10 seasons. Yeah, I so know. I he's know. He's like, I thought you didn't want 10 seasons. I really don't. I Bruce, don't. listen, I'm still mad at you. Yeah. Um, we're still in a fight, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, but I, I found that to be interesting. And the last thing to note is kind of um, those big toxic waste areas don't necessarily mean those are all of the colonies because as we learn in our next section colonies don't have to be necessarily big waste areas what i mean is not all of the colonies are in waste areas but most of the waste areas are colonies if that makes sense yeah okay cool because the map marks western colonies which is a region by nevada and utah the cities of nevada and utah and (laughs) eastern colonies district uh, which is by the great plains which is where i assume is where janine and Emily, I put Rory, uh, were we'll more than die hard. Yeah. So that's kind of all that I was able to g- glean from mm-hmm. the map. Um, sorry, I'm bad at geography. I uh, grew up in California and they don't really care over much about that. <laughs> Here. Like, I have this question. Speaking hmm. of semantics. Yeah. Like, why do they call them the colonies? Oh, wow. That's a great point. You know what I mean? Because it's like, if you think, like, what a colony is, is, you know, an outpost of an empire. Like, that's a very, like, ba- you know, basic, and I'm not putting in a lot of nuance, but, like, you know, they're not really colonizing these areas if they already control them. Ah, so I think I have an answer to that, um, and it goes into our our next section. Do you want me to answer it now, or do you want it to kind of be... Mm. Let's revealed. build up the suspense and okay. you can say it. Okay. I, it's not like a, oh, no way answer. It's just more of like a, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I feel like that's really what we're going for with these episodes. It's just everybody like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, Versus, you know, the actual recaps of the show, which is like, you know, crying and snotting and, and being angry and shaking our fists. And mostly these Gilead guides are an antidote to my unnecessary anger every time somebody in the like official Handmaid's Tale form posts that infographic that's like this is the makeup of who is your wife and who is the handmaid and blah 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 and they say all this stuff and i'm like yeah i anyone could have made this i could pull this out of my butt like can you cite some sources bro i hate wow this. your butt has so much cool stuff in there oh, though baby you don't uh, know. <laughs> all right so that brings us to our second question which is so what's the deal with the colonies <laughs> So a lot of what we know about the colonies comes from the book, from Moira's kind of like long monologue. So this is a bit long. So, you know, strap in. But Moira says in the colonies, they spend their time cleaning up. They're very clean minded these days. Sometimes it's just bodies after a battle. The ones in city ghettos are the worst. They're left around longer. They get rottener. This bunch doesn't like dead bodies lying around. They're afraid of a plague or something. So the women in the colonies there do the burning. The other colonies are worse, though. The toxic dumps and the radiation spills. They figure you've got three years maximum at those before your nose falls off and your skin pulls away like rubber gloves. They don't bother to feed you much or give you protective clothing or anything. It's cheaper not to. Anyway, they're mostly people they want to get rid of. They say there's other colonies, not so bad, where they do agriculture, cotton and tomatoes and all that. I love the cotton and tomatoes and, you know, and all the rest. 
here on Gilead's Isle. <laughs> and that's on page 248 of the trade paperback. Uh, any any thoughts about that? Because I just, uh, you know, this book is so much to digest that I didn't know until this rereading that, uh, n- like, hashtag not all colonies. <laughs> like, <laughs> there are some colonies you could go to where you're just, like, you know, basically still doing slave labor, but you're, like, picking fruit mm-hmm. or, or uh, picking cotton, which is... Uh, you know, slightly better than scooping toxic waste till your face falls off. I mean, you know, uh, you know, let's wait until we get that infographic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but my grandparents were migrant farmers. I feel like I could I could hack it. I <laughs> can't <laughs> hack anything. Uh, and then on page 308, <laughs> Professor Pioto says that the colonies were composed of portable populations used mainly as expendable toxic cleanup squads. Though, if lucky, you could be assigned to less hazardous tasks, such as cotton picking and fruit harvesting. So we're getting this sort of academic confirmation of what is, for our purposes, the primary source of, like, Moira's monologue here. But presumably, you know, they have access to some kind of records that are like, oh, this is the deal with the colonies. That's where they keep it filed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Something interesting I wanted to note about this is, in the book, they have these... In the historical notes in the book, they have two theories about who the Fred and Ah Fred is. The, it can be either Fred Waterford or B. Frederick Judd. And something interesting that they mention on that same page, 308, is that B. Frederick Judge is the person who thought up the colonies. So, oh. I think if you were wanting to get more clues about Whitford's character, who they've attributed to have uh, created the colonies... We wanted to get more clues about Whitford's character. I would suggest going through that epilogue and really mining for clues about B. Frederick Judd, because I bet uh, we'll get clues into either how he's killed or how he escapes. I didn't do this work for you because I did a lot of work for you this week. And yeah, I don't feel like listen, doing that. this is fine. We're doing great. So if anybody goes through that passage and finds interesting stuff about Judd, let me know. Um. So what was your observation about? The we're semantics not, of colonies. Oh, we're not we're there, not yet? Even there okay. yet. I'll this All is right, perfect. there's so much more colonies content. This is perfect because it leads into this. So the next question we're answering is specifically what are they cleaning up in the colonies? And there's this great article on vulture.com called The Handmaid's Tale Season Two Behind the Colonies. And set designer Elizabeth Williams says it's a lot like penal farms or slavery type situations where human bodies are used as tools to work the soil. It's very inexpensive to basically reclaim the earth. You don't use machinery. You use humans who are considered useless to society and you make them work until they die. So she goes on to say in this in this article and the Handmaid's Tale wiki says the same is that what they're doing is they're trying to clear out all the contaminated soil to get back to soil for planting. Mm-hmm. So in this way, they're colonizing unruly land to begin planting again on new land. So they're clearing out an old species, so the existing environment there, and they're setting up more Gilead there. So it's kind of like a... Yeah, I mean, I just don't buy it as like calling it colonies, though. Okay. Just, just because... A colony is a country that you invade that isn't your country, but, like, that's all of Gilead. Well, so, like, shouldn't all of Gilead be a colony? So I wonder, and and maybe this is genuinely, I'm 
I'm open to this being me just being pulling a tortured metaphor where there is where well you know sometimes I think that like we spend so much time analyzing this and if we talk to Maggie at she'd be like I just like the sound of colonies no and I really actually do think that's what it is like right I do not think there is a deeper meaning right but if I was gonna parse this out for just you think should I ask her when I when I meet Maggie no that I don't want that to be your question Ask her about her skincare ritual, just because I want to know what the deal is. Okay. Um, uh, I think I actually am going to be like, why do you take your purse everywhere? No. I mean, don't you? So no one jacks it. Yeah, she can She can afford it. No <laughs> one can afford to be jacked. Oh, except for everyone in the Bling Ring movie. Um, anyway. Back to my dumb point about Wait, the colonies. Backpedal here for a minute. Yeah. When you say everyone in the Bling Ring movie, do you mean the people they rob or oh, yeah, the people yeah. doing the robbing? Come on. I mean the people they rob. I mean the people that are robbing could also stand to be jacked. They didn't seem like they were hurting. Y- yeah, they're, they're fine. Yeah. Oh, have you ever seen Pretty Wild? No. Ooh. Is that the one with James Franco? No, no, no. Pretty Wild is the reality show about those girls oh, lives that accidentally right. coincided with them being under investigation that's for hilarious it's brilliant and you can l- watch the episode of my other podcast failure to launch to hear all about that show you know like i was just reflecting on this because i have been listening to bad feminist by roxanne gay oh. and i'm on the chapter that she kind of like deconstructs like femininity through the lens of reality tv but i just like have never gotten into reality tv in the way that you have i know um i just am like oh i don't really care that much i think you're not as nosy as me i definitely no i don't care about others (laughs) (laughs) i'm like are you affecting me oh okay i don't want to watch your show let me nip this colony thing in the the butt a little bit so i would say that maybe another way they're colonizing is maybe these are flashpoints of battle gilead finally won this area but the area they won is shitty so they need to kind of bring it back mm, up to gilead standards but again it could be just colony sounds fun okay so that's my theory uh, go you get the next question who is in the colonies back to moira on page 248 it's old women i bet you've been wondering why you haven't seen too many of those around anymore and handmaids who've screwed up their three chances and incorrigibles like me discards all of us they're sterile of course if they aren't that way to begin with they are after they've been there for a while when they're unsure they do a little operation on you so there won't be any mistakes i'd say it's about a quarter men in the colonies too not all of those gender traitors end up on the wall all of them wear long dresses like the ones at the center only gray women and the men too judging from the group shots all of them wear long dresses like the ones at the center only gray women and the Women and the men, too, judging from the group shots. I guess it's supposed to demoralize the men having to wear a dress. Mm. So this is different a bit from the show in that we haven't seen any men in the colonies. Ooh, how cool would that be, though? And, you know, this has just been sticking in my craw lately, but it's like Eden was super fertile, potentially. I just find it to be very inconsistent world building that they would just execute her. Oh, Eden. Eden. I thought you, I thought you said Ian. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know Eden. Eden. <laughs> Ian, the the human male seahorse. <laughs> well, I thought for a second I I I thought Isaac's name was I- Ian. Ian. Like, oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Ian. No, but it's just like you know, in this society, like people, even criminals, aren't expendable. Yeah, like you they're think, not expendable huh? for execution in this way. Like there seems to me like there should have been so many more layers of that punishment before you get 
to execution. Well, what is interesting that I'm just thinking about now is if you're also executing men who are gender traitors, I feel like there's a possibility that those men, even if they were just having sex with with men, could have been fertile themselves. Oh, absolutely. So why not, you know, hand man's tail? Well, but I mean, like, as far as that's concerned... We know that, like, the way that Gilead is constructed is that it's always the woman's fault. Right. So, like, that's uh, still consistent world building. Yeah, yeah. Like, every man is just as fertile as another man. That's a good point. From their perspective. So, it's like, oh, you know, we got we got sperm for days <laughs> is what they think. That makes But, yeah, you're right. It does seem... I think it seems, like, very odd. You're right. That they would just discard Eden to prove a point. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah, it just, it bugs me in the same way that just dropping the whole, we're going to like monetize Handmaid's thread just got dropped. Yeah, what happened Because that? that's a really interesting idea. What does totally. that look like? Yeah. What if it worked? Yeah. Like, I do that think that changes how you think about this entire society. Not completely, but it's just like, oh, what happens when like the horrible, noxious idea is actually like really effective? Yeah. Well, I know. I well, mean, like if like because presumably even the people who are like under the boot of Gilead are like, it would be great if we got birth rates back up. TBH. Yeah. Maybe all this bullshit would stop. Also, the environment is better? Question mark. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, uh, what happened to uh, Mexico? Just. Uh, yeah. OK. That's a really good point. Um, and I don't have an answer, but I think you're you're a student saying. I just that. you know I I think it's clear that the people who make the show are more interested in like sort of like having these emotional flashpoints that frequently come at the expense of like credible world building. <laughs> I, I feel like you said a mouthful about the whole series there. <laughs> Two things I wanted to pick out from this passage is one Moira makes mention that handmaids get three chances so of the people we've seen sent to the colonies does that track because it seems nobody like- who's been sent to the colonies that we have seen have been handmaids who struck out because the three chances are you get three placements three opportunities oh, to give birth that's what you're uh, uh-huh. okay that's All what right. she's talking Thank about you. yes that Incor- makes sense. i think you were thinking of it in terms of like this incorrigible thing yes and i think that that is more fluid like how many you're how many so times right. can you try to stick it to the gilead man before they're like fucking get out of here oh wow you were you were so right yeah Thank you. and so we have not seen that eventuality no on the show at all of because I mean with okay. like a with Janine again inconsistent world Billy's like she's proven herself to be very fertile like you know uh, Emily has just she's an incorrigible so it's not sure. even that she's had all these unsuccessful placements she mm. just keeps running guardians over with cars that she steals that's kind of interesting because just I mean it doesn't matter now that she's not in Gilead but. Whitford would have been her like third placement, right? Because we yeah, saw... that, we, that we have seen. <gasps> oh my god, no! I bet it's like the fourth because there was one guy with the heart attack, the person with the dog, and whoever she was with. At yeah, the when very she beginning. was off. Okay, at the so never mind. Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. Thank you for yeah. clearing that up. Uh, the other thing I want to is I'm confused about what she means. I, I'm. She says when they're unsure about your sterility, they do an operation on you. So there won't be any mistakes. So I'm just like, again, it's like, are we really in a position to be sterilizing people? And also, if it's like, why do you care if someone in the colonies gets 
pregnant? I'm it's so confused. probably, I would say in this instance, it's probably much more of a thing where it's like they're concerned that the child would like be deformed or suffer or something. But I agree with you that it's not super clear. Yeah, I think that's like a weird if you if you really wade into Handmaid's Tale, there's so many like throwaway lines that you're like, what the hell? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I'm so confused I mean, by this. I mean, people are infallible. Yeah. Both in in the meta sense where Maggie Atz <laughs> is infallible. Uh-huh. The creative team behind the show is fallible. Mm. And also the people in universe who created Gilead were like, uh, what if they're sterile? Um, does not compute. <laughs> You're a person. Please speak normally. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So I believe that's everything about the colonies. <laughs> Next up, we have Martha's, Martha's, Martha's. <laughs> and the question is, what makes a Martha? So you can check out the uh, the Netflix series Making a Martha, <laughs> starring Bruegel. Um, so, you know, primarily it is infertility. And so as far as we can tell, Martha haven't done anything particularly bad against Gilead. Uh-huh. We know from the show that Rita had a son who died in the war. And I believe that's book canon. Well. Yeah. And my question about that too is like, how old was her son? Like, was he a soldier or was he just like a civilian casualty? I don't know. It evades easy answers. So on page 10 of the book, Cora, who is the other Martha who kind of has been elided with Rita to create the character of Rita. Although the name of the handmaid at Whitford's house is Cora in a direct, you know, like shout out to the book. (laughs) But Cora says, if I hadn't got my tubes tied, it could have been me say I was 10 years younger, which I'm like, that's, that's two ways that you're infertile Cora. Like quit, (laughs) quit trying to like seem cool. Um, That's like when I'm like, Oh yeah, John Hamm would date me if I was older and I was an actress and I was affluent. (laughs) And you had no problem with his uh, alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, kind of like infertile non rabble rousers. And I think this is not explicitly said here, but I believe we can infer that this is how we answer widows. Mm-hmm. is somebody who was married at a point and then their spouse died. And so it's not like they were on their second marriage, mm-hmm. like a bad handmaid or divorced, yeah. like a bad handmaid. They were just women out there who are maybe infertile and who once had a spouse and then did the right thing and I never remarried. all the time about you, like, doing your copywriting job as a Martha, like, <laughs> like that doctor, like, coming back and... <laughs> Like, I would say almost, like, almost on the daily, like, I just sort of, like, have this vision of that happening. So thank you for that gift that you've given me. Me just quietly at my desk, like, I can touch the computer And you're just, like, tears running down your face. I'm looking at brand books, like, yeah. (laughs) Yep, that would be me. So, uh, number uh, number six is, can Martha's talk to handmaids? I, I'm not sure this is kind of a boring question. I think maybe I just wrote out questions as I found the answers. That's fine. No, that's something big different between the book and the show is that they're really not supposed to hang out together and talk a lot. I will say that the interesting thing about the TV show that is like stylistically had to happen, but is very unnerving if you read the book first, is that... Everybody talks yeah, to each everybody other. Everybody is so talking much more. so freaking much. And it's like, yeah. hey, pipe down. It's like me on a date. It's like, hey, stop. <laughs> no. Let's just sit here. <laughs> um, but on page 11, 
they say Martha's are not supposed to fraternize with us, us being the handmaids. So. I do think more than almost any other relationship in the show, we get that from her interactions with Rita, mm-hmm. where it's like Rita in particular tries specifically in the first season too, is like she tries to do everything by the book, mm-hmm. at least for the like sake of like not getting caught. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. And they just, you know, they technically like spend less time together. Mm-hmm. So like I always get a sense and, you know, we didn't know for so long, like Rita, what's your deal? Yeah. So it's just like, okay, like there's, there's a tension there uh-huh. that completely went out of the show as far as the handmaids are concerned in the second Agreed. season yeah. when everybody's like, may the force be with you. <laughs> waka, waka, waka. <laughs> One thing I always thought though, even from my first time reading the book is that I would so much prefer to be a Martha than a handmaid, not just because of the rape thing. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now I'm sure plenty of Marthas are getting raped. Oh no. Um, <laughs> Wow, that that's upsetting. But I thought that welcome to life. <laughs> one thing I like about in the book is that Rita and Cora work together in the house and talk. And yeah. she's like, I think Offred even describes her like walking in on them when they were like sneaking coffee uh-huh. or something. And I think that like I feel like I could survive most dystopia if I was allowed to have one friend to uh-huh. shit talk with. I yeah. mean that's why I feel I like this podcast with you. You just want a buddy in your isolation cabin. Exactly genuinely. <laughs> oh. So that would be a selling point for a Martha to me. And then um the next question should be like why do they wear what they wear? We don't really have a good answer as far as like why Martha's wear what they wear. Their gowns are green versus mm-hmm. the blue of the wives and the red of the handmail. The handmails. That's the that's the gender swap. <laughs> the handmails, the handmails yeah. tail. <laughs> yeah, but you know some dipshits on the forums would be like the handmelden's tail. <laughs> By the way, I would recommend getting out of those official forums toot sweet because the discussion there has been garbage. Well, they got like not hacked, but just like a bunch of like right wingers were like, hey, let's go ruin some more stuff. I've already ruined the government. I think that is a very generous assumption that people right wingers decided to join that group i think what is more likely is a lot of them were already in that group and then just decided to really level up the trolling but anyway they're garbage only talk on our facebook page um sorry go ahead at any rate the martha dress is described in the book on page nine dull green like a surgeon's gown which i wonder Ah. if that was part of the impetus to like have one of the marthas be an actual surgeon yeah that is pretty interesting and you know i mean green is like you know growing things i don't know like i I like it yeah i'm just i don't feel like there's a huge symbolism behind it where like with the wives you have like the virgin mary Uh and the handmaids you have like the blood of a period Yeah, the, the thing I green think is it, just like oh, we like ran out of ideas, and that just seemed like the best uh, one. <laughs> the thing I think is so funny is it that was cheaper in the book. The Econo people wear like striped outfits that are all the colors. I just imagine them all looking like clowns na, na, na. or like extras in like a community theater production of The Wizard of Oz basically. in Munchkinland. Like basically, we represent. Econo people, econo people, econo people, and in the name of econo people, and then just a black van drives up and drives them away. <laughs> exactly. So the next is the aunts or the ants. Ant, aunt, ant, aunt. That sounds Oof. like a donkey. This or a donkey. This <laughs> podcast is just like 
licorice to the ears. That's just lovely. I hate licorice, though. Oh, me so. too. Yeah. Although I dreamed that I ate a Twizzler last night. I just remembered that just Weird. now. Yeah, that was cool. Good job, brain. <laughs> so uh, I really only have like two bullet points about the aunts. Um, and one is what is the aunt's naming convention? And on page 308, 308 is really the big explainer page in the uh, historical notes, but it says aunts are named after commercial products. So, like, um, y- you bet there's a straight up Aunt Jemima in <laughs> in Gilead. I don't know, man. Like, what about uh, removing all of the black people to Detroit? Like, I think that wouldn't that song. count for syrup. <laughs> I don't know. They'd be like, we're not doing this anymore. Uncle uh, Ben, Aunt Jemima, you're out of here. Like, and it's good to get rid of that stuff. But yeah, it's yeah. like, it's so crazy to me that those are still brands today. And they're just like, well, but people love it. Like, eh. tell that to the Redskins. Yeah. Like, eh, we could just call it any, like, just what about just Ben's rice? You know, give him an upgrade. Or give him a grandpa. Yeah. Grandpa Ben. Grandpa Ben was never racist. Um, yeah. So I think that's kind of interesting because they want to give him like a name that is like homey, but also dehumanizing. <laughs> that's a great point. So Aunt Cholula is alive and well. And who are the aunts? They are volunteers, generally speaking, with a genuine belief in traditional values. So, uh, you know, Senator Susan Collins, for example. <laughs> uh. Just, you know, just women who think that the answer is oppressing women. They're like, uh, we've given it some thought. Have we tried oppressing other women? We think there's something here. All right. Let's just drill down. Not me. Don't oppress me. I mean, oppress me a little. You know, I deserve it. But, you know, God, God knows we shouldn't be making our own choices. Like the Susan, the Susan Collins thing is very upsetting, but it's doubly upsetting because I keep thinking it's Suzanne Collins Ah! (laughs) who wrote The Hunger Games. And I'm like, damn. You really, like, went dark after you killed Pim. (laughs) (laughs) Aw, man. R.I.P. Pim. You mean Prim? Prim. See? Pim is a... Pim's cup is an alcohol. Oof. That's great. I would like to be... I would like to be Aunt Pim's. (laughs) Yeah, that's so funny. What would I be... I I think Aunt Cholula works for me. (laughs) It's almost like when... But it is is similar to, like, your nun name, too, right? Yeah. Because it's adopting a set name yeah that's kind of interesting all right <laughs> let's get into the econo peeps uh i was real punchy when i was making this episode i'm, I'm, I'm picking up on that <laughs> and it's funny because i tried to hide stuff to get you to say it and to get you to laugh and they've all been on me <laughs> oh shit well i got to say marcia's 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 yeah um but the- <laughs> The first question I wrote to answer about Econo people is, who are these mofos? <laughs> so I believe that means who are Econo people. Um, so in that New York Times article that is the impetus for this podcast, um, Margaret Atwood says, Econo wives are the wives of low-ranking men in society. So the middle class of Gilead as a whole is referred to Econo people. Uh, and so uh, the kind of like subtext here is there are people who were in legitimate heterosexual Molly's marriages. Molly's making air quotes around legitimate, which aren't going to. 
right. translate, but I'm letting you know. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> there are people who are in legitimate heterosexual marriages pre-Gilead. So um, let me take two shakes and let me see if... Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, legitimate pre- pre-Gilead marriages, meaning uh, they've never been married before. They are a man and a woman. <laughs> That's it. It's so fucking rude to call them econo people, though, because it's like you're like, it's like, oh, you're people who are like on sale. Like, Mm -hmm. it just, I, it drives me nuts. It's like the econo lodge. Right. Like, nobody wants to stay there. Nobody wants to be that. Well, obviously, what Maggie Atz is saying, too, is it's like a class thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm not not saying it's wrong, like, in terms of, like, being accurate. I'm just like, Gilead, you need a better public relations strategy. Oh, I'd love that job. (laughs) No, I wouldn't. Uh, (laughs) That is happening on season three of Man in the High Castle, basically, for, like, you know, the, like, you know. I don't know why I keep watching that show. I honestly don't. Anyway, but like there's somebody who's like the the new like there's a woman who's like a new minister of propaganda. Uh-huh. And like I'm watching and I'm like, oh, they're like setting her up to be like this like Lenny Riefenstahl. And then Ooh. a character in the fucking show is like, oh, the next Lenny Riefenstahl. <laughs> and she's like, well, she turned 60 this year. It's time for her to retire. And I'm like, I get it. The Nazis won World War Two. You don't have to keep underlining it. By the way, that's another good reason to read Mother Night by Kurt Vonnegut, because it is basically like the PR person for the Nazis. Oh, OK. Really good. Um, that's why, uh, by the way, uh, I know nobody's been thinking about this but me, but I've been kind of holding <laughs> off on making the season, our, our third installment of the Red All Over book list, because I think we still have some of these episodes. in. so maybe that'll be y'all's Christmas present as I make the, the Red All Over book list. I'm not going to get my hopes up. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> I'm just trying to manage my expectations. Okay. So what we also think is that in the middle period of Gilead, most of the women who are econo people become handmaids. Uh, And we pull that from the epilogue on page 304. This policy was extended to cover all marriages not contracted within the state church. So that's basically rendering every marriage pre-Gilead null and void. And we, we're seeing shades of this in the show where Heather, the econo wife of Omar, is, you know, quote unquote, transferred to being a handmaid after, you know, he is arrested for reasons that we still don't really know much about. Right. And what's kind of interesting knowing this is that I think a lot of people are like, June, you messed up those people's lives. They could have been fine for a long time. And it's kind of like... Because we know that they were likely married in uh, the Islamic church, mm-hmm. middle period of Gilead, they're gone anyway. Yeah. Because they would have well, said that's also, a Well, and also, it is not June's fault that the whole thing went pear-shaped. You know, not really. Yeah. Well, I mean, she could have stayed in the warehouse like he told she her She could have stayed in the warehouse, but like... That's still no guarantee that they wouldn't have been arrested. True. He was already in the resistance. True. Like, it was already happening. Yeah. Good point. All right. Do the Econo people have jobs? Yes. We see in season two, episode four, Other Women, Omar drove a bread delivery truck. And that is Aunt Lydia says that to June when she takes Uh. her down to the wall to see his body. I love that I have so much distance from the show now because I'm like, pretty cool pretty cool part (laughs) instead of week by week being like when will this stop this is hurting me 
All right. Uh, where does the livestock in Gilead come from? So this is speculation, but we know that Eden grew up on a farm. So I'm thinking it's possible that like small farming communities are responsible for maintaining Gilead's livestock and are then like promised good marriages for their children as a result. And if it is primarily small farmers who are providing all of the meat, that explains why there's meat rationing. Mm, I like it. And the last question, which we really should have ended on more of a banger, but (laughs) (laughs) is uh, like, what are we, Miley Cyrus? (laughs) (laughs) Good album. I love that album too much. God, I had a dream. I met Miley Cyrus last night too. Oh, really? (laughs) Wow. Should have offered her a Twizzler. Maybe then we could have hung out. (laughs) Sidebar. Don't keep this in. This is not interesting. But in my dream, she was at a music festival and some act was performing overlapping her set and everybody left her set to go see that one and i ran up in front of like miley don't listen to those haters i love you (laughs) so anyway um all right so the last question is are eden's parents just econo people and uh we said yeah (laughs) based yeah on the clothing they're wearing in season two episode 12 postpartum and season two episode 13 the word um they're not wearing the striped outfits of the book (laughs) econo people they're wearing gray outfits so uh yeah sure yeah and i think it's also interesting because i mean we hear from the book that in the colonies everybody wears gray yeah but in the show everybody in the colonies wears this sort of like dusty blue color yeah yeah. and the econo people get upgraded to gray i mean look i think anything is better than the clown suit mm-hmm. so congrats show econo people thanks and looks tree. like we made it look how far we've come <laughs> econo people mm-hmm. i didn't think this through i like it thank you thanks me and shania <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's sort of our you know, wrap up of outstanding questions about Gilead Mm -hmm. and, um, or at least sort of like the day to day in Gilead. And our next episode will be about the historical precedents for the atrocities we see committed in both the book and the show. Yeah. So that one's going to be extra depressing because it's based in reality. Yep. All right, guys. Well, the, with that in mind and with the world in mind, uh, take good care of yourself. You're important. And, uh, you know, take good care of your girlfriends. And thanks for listening. And no lite, te bastardes, carborundorum. Dun-dun-dum, 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 dun-dun-dum. I don't know what happened.